Hi, hello, and welcome to Oh Boy, the podcast presented by Man Repeller. I'm your host, Jay Bume, and today's guest is Aurora James, the founder of the shoe line Brother Vellies. We talked a lot about the story behind how Brother Vellies came to be, and she had a bunch of other great stories to share as well. I really enjoyed our conversation. Excuse you, Gary. That was my dog, Gary. He just sneezed. I'm sorry. I'm also really excited because today's podcast is sponsored by Squarespace, which is the easiest way to create a blog or website. Use the offer code OBOY at checkout for 10% off your first purchase. Okay, let's get into it. So where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up, I was born in a little place called Guelph. Um, in Canada. In Canada. Yes, I th- I've, I've heard, heard of, of that. it. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Wow, that's a fluke. Um, <laughs> uh, it's supposed then, to be like a pretty cool place, right? You know, I haven't been there in a long time, but I'm sure it's cool. Like bands, bands tour through yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a university. Yeah, gotcha. So I, I was born there and then um, lived there until I was like seven years old-ish. And then um, my mom actually decided to retire and she fell in love with someone and we moved to Jamaica. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I lived in Jamaica for three or four years. In Kingston or? Oh, wow. In Ocherios, Montego Bay, and Kingston. Okay. We moved around and like had some different houses there. What was that like? Uh, what was that like leaving like the amazing. snowy Canadian wilderness and moving down to Jamaica? Well, it was also really funny because it was that year that the, that Beach Boys song came out. Bermuda, Bahamas, <laughs> come And so everyone used to sing that to me. And when I was moving and I got so irritated, I actually didn't want to go because I was leaving all my friends and everything. And it was a huge culture shock. Yeah. You know? How so for you? Well, like I was a pretty chatty child. (laughs) And so, you know, in Canada, if you're chatty, like they're like, stop talking. But in Jamaica at my private school, I was like chatting and then it was like, like belt, just like. Bam. Oh, right, really? Yeah, like right across your body. Wow. And I was like, oh, no. I, well, so I started screaming, obviously. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, As one would if they were hit with a belt. Right. And I was yeah. like, when my mom finds out about this, I mean. Yeah. And so I went home. I think that was like the second day. And then I went home and my mom was like, oh, my God. And my stepfather was like, oh, no, that's normal. Really? And I was like, oh, this is going to be a really hard transition for me. So what did you do? Did you stay there? Yeah, I stayed there. Because all the schools like that, they were all like that then. Really? So it was like if you didn't know your times table, you had to stick out your hand. And they, the teacher ha- who had this belt named Juicy. The belt had a name? The, yeah, she named the belt Juicy. Oh, would no. alternate hitting my hand. Like I put one, my right hand out, my left hand out, my right hand out. And she would just keep hitting them until she felt like she was done. She was very aggressive. Was she like, was that the norm in the school or was she? Totally. Oh, really? Yeah. And then when you get sent to the principal's office, which unfortunately happened to me one time, that's just an empty room with a chair where he just basically like throws you around, beats the shit out of you. What? I know. And this was like, you know, one of the top two like best private schools in that country. That's how they did it. Did it work? No. (laughs) 
I think I just developed more of a tolerance, but I just did not like this woman. Oh my God. So how long were you dealing but with that But I can for? tell you seven times eight is 56. Right. Like I know my time sales <laughs> for what it's worth. Right. Uh, like four years. Wow. And then, yeah. and then, um, and then they moved back to Canada, which was lovely. For like high school times? Yeah. Um, I think I moved back in like grade seven. And then, and then I lived in Mississauga. Um, which is right outside of Toronto. Which is right outside of Toronto. It's yeah. considered the GTA, the greater Toronto area. Okay. Um, and I went to high school there. So what was that like? Making the transition back? Were you, were you happy to be <sighs> back was, there? Yeah, I was very thankful. And it was sort of like it was all a dream. It was a completely different, like, totally different existence, totally different reality. Uh, I, my mom totally didn't know what she was getting herself into. Um, like... My stepfather was not someone that was like a very great person. Okay. And so I think for me, that was very formative because I realized that you never really know someone, you know? Mm -hmm. And also that no matter what, as a woman, you need to maintain your independence to a certain degree, you know? Right. Um, And also that I just, you don't have to stay in something if you don't want to like I left Jamaica before my mom left like I was like I don't want to do this anymore and I moved and lived with my grandmother and she stayed for like an extra year in Mississauga no in Jamaica oh in Jamaica you moved yeah so I left Jamaica before my mom did and moved with my grandmother and then my mom ended up moving back from Jamaica so you because you were just like not into no I was not into it yeah. I wasn't into it at all. My stepfather was very abusive towards my mom in many mm-hmm. different ways. And so watching that for me, I was like, I can't watch this because by watching it, I'm supporting it. And when I was really young, I was like, oh, I have to be there to help protect her. But then I realized that like she was also making that choice. Right. Um, and my mom was one of the strongest women that I ever n- have known to this day and incredibly intelligent, like finished high school like three years early or something like that like like really 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 brilliant and I also realized at that point that you know just because you're a victim of any kind of violence or abuse doesn't mean that you're weak right or unintelligent that's very true yeah yeah how are you spending your time growing up Mm, I did a lot of coloring I'm an only child me too you are oh yeah yeah, I for sure. Um, well, I actually have a half sister who I've never met before, but we follow each other on Instagram. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I have a half sister as well. You do? Yeah. We're like the same person. <laughs> I still color. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I love coloring. I document my coloring on Snapchat. Okay. Just because I think more people should be coloring. <laughs> and it's so great you can do the color sequences. Um, Did you ever have those crayons that are like the rainbow? In absolutely. A absolutely. I would also put my crayons all together in that plastic box and then leave them in the back of the car so the right. sun would hit them yeah. and they would melt. And so sometimes I'd separate and just do all one color, so I have a giant crayon color. So I was very inventive as a child. Um, also started a babysitter's club, which was really fun. Um, what do you mean by that? Like I wrangled a bunch of girls together to be babysitters, and then I organized it. I only actually babysat myself one time, and it was a disaster. I had to call my grandmother to come help me babysit. But... Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I was pretty inventive as a child growing up. I had a really wild imagination. Yeah. Um, and my grandmother actually fostered all of these sh- children from Africa, children and young adults. Okay. Um, and it was a very different time. I mean, this was the 80s, early 90s. They used to write letters, and so they were all my pen pals. 
um, and we would have all their letters and pictures of them all over the refrigerator. And uh, that was sort of my first introduction to Africa because I would write back and forth with all of these kids all the time who were my age. Some were older. I remember one of them, my grandmother actually sponsored all the way up to um, them getting a college education, and they actually came uh, to Canada and visited us. And Oh, wow. Yeah, it was like a big thing for her. She was really into that. So that was very much a part of my childhood as well. Oh, that's cool. What What were the things that you were into besides coloring? Mm. What, how were you spending your time? I used to hang out kind of, I mean... I was kind of a loner because I was only a child, but right. my mom was a very, like, she always felt like kind of my best friend. I used to watch Mary Poppins a lot. I thought she was super magical. Yeah. I used to go into um, my mom's, like, walk-in closet, which was in the basement, and I would, like, sit there and play with the clothes. Um, it's a lot of that. Were there people that you were looking up to at that time? Like, do you remember the kind of stuff that you were into? You know what? I don't think there was anyone that I really looked up to because part of it, too, is I didn't know. There was an element of displacement for me as a child because um, I didn't know my dad's side of the family, and he actually passed away when I was seven. But so everyone on my side of the family was Caucasian, super, like, on my mom's side. So everyone that I knew was white. And and, um, my great uncle was actually a member of the KKK in Canada. So it was actually... There's, K- there's a KKK in yeah, Canada? Yeah, I know. People are like, what? Really? Yeah. I mean, I may, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they were all deep. There's ignorant people everywhere. Exactly. So um, that whole side of the family, I think it was like hard for my mom. Maybe initially I didn't, wasn't really realizing it, but my mom was always sort of the black sheep of the family because she was like you know, like pretty hippy dippy and, and that kind of thing. Right. Um, so I think for me, it was like, who else looks like me? I was like always trying to look for people that looked like me and I never really saw them that much. Um, until the Spice Girls. <laughs> <laughs> Scary Spice was like the first person I ever saw like mainstream that I really like identified with. Really? Yeah, a little bit Lisa Bonet in the Cosby show, but I was also like, I don't understand. Both of her parents are black. Why is she lighter? Right. That made <laughs> zero sense to me. So I was like, this, this TV world is confused. Um, but I loved Scary Spice. What, 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 what did you love about her? She had the same hair as me. Yeah. She had like that big curly hair. Yeah. And she was like, loud and outspoken and didn't care what anybody thought and so i thought that was really cool that's amazing yeah so so when you're in canada what what was your plan did you did you want to get out of did you want to get out of toronto did you want to leave Mm -hmm. what what were the things that you that you wanted to do well i wanted to be a lawyer actually yeah (laughs) why where did that come from well it sounds totally insane but one time my mom actually explained to me about counterfeit handbags okay and um i don't know how it came up i think we were watching a movie or something and they made mention of canal street yeah and i was like what is you know and she was like the like some people sell counterfeit things and i'm like like how like what does this mean you know (laughs) and she was like well they basically steal one person's design and make a different version of it and sell it on their own right and i was like whoa that's wrong (laughs) she was like it's really wrong and i was like that's really very wrong yeah (laughs) and i was like i'm gonna fight that that's what you wanted to fight and then i was like i'm gonna be aware (laughs) (laughs) to take those people down yeah yeah and that was like active in my mind for like two years probably 
So did you pursue how like did, grade did you, eight, grade nine? Yeah. No, and then grade ten, I just was like, "What is the world? What does life mean?" Yeah. And then it was like, forget being a lawyer. I was like, that means I have to do how much more school? Yeah. So it was out of the question. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your plan then? Finish school as quickly as possible. Yeah. Try to get out. Um, I just didn't want to be But try there. to get out and do, to do what, though? What did you want to do? Things that I was more interested in. So, okay, basically when I was like 15 or something, I started modeling briefly, and I was like, this is awful. Yeah. And um, Why was it awful? Why, or why did you find it awful? Because I was like, it felt very male gazy. Mm-hmm. You know, and I thought it was bizarre that they always put me in animal prints. Yeah. And then I was like, whoa, it's because I'm black and they think I'm exotic and that's creepy. And I don't want to be involved in that. Right. You know, um, and then I was talking to my agent and I was like, I'd really way rather do like what you're doing. <laughs> and she was like, really? I don't know. She's like, I mean, I just sit here all day. I'm like, yeah, you sit there, but you collect 15% of what we are all making in the day and you just sat there. Right. And I was like, I'm going to come intern. And she was like, what even is that? And I was like, it's basically where I come and work for free. And she was like, ew, you want to do that? And I was like, absolutely. This was pre the Hills. So no one was interning. (laughs) You had to explain the concept to her. Totally. Um, So I started interning at Next in Toronto. And I did that for like a full summer. That was when I was like, I don't know. Yeah, 15, 16. Right. I dropped out of high school when I was 17 years old. In Canada, we, it goes up to grade 13. Really? Not anymore, but I was oh. the last year that was supposed to do grade 13. Oh, okay. And I dropped out in the beginning of grade 12. Um, and then I finished the rest through correspondence, and I ended up working at Next. And then I went... Doing what? What were you doing there? I started out as an agent. I yeah. started as a junior agent, and then I became an agent. Oh, wow. Did you like it? Yeah, I liked it because, you know, I realized that models were sort of like the modern day Cinderella's, you know, right. You can pluck a girl from like a tiny village in Senegal, you know, who's never managed to like have a proper education. Next thing you know, she's like making a ton of money and having all of these experiences and able to support her family back home. Right. That's very transformative, you know. Did you think a part of that came from like watching your grandmother? Absolutely. Yeah. And I was like, did. I wish that all people in Africa could be models and make lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, just that thing of just, you know, caring for other people, caring for other people, people you don't know. Totally. I mean, and the other thing, too, is like a lot of these girls are really young. Right. And like traveling by themselves, you know, that's really heavy. Were there a lot of people that you saw that were kind of steering people in the wrong ways? And mm. did you want to like combat that at all or? think I really know, picked up on that necessarily I think if anything I was the young one there so right. they were always like find out what's really happening <laughs> and I was like as are in the club yeah. you know what I mean yeah, yeah, yeah um so and I also think that my gauge of like right or wrong at that age was much different like I was like you know I believe that like there isn't really a right and wrong people mm-hmm. have to do like what they feel is intuitive to them and like at the end of the day, you have to be nice to people and have respect. Sure. And if you act on that, then so this, I was in a different place mentally, right. for sure. So how long were you doing that for before you got? Mm, probably like a year and a half ish. Yeah. Um, and then I ended up going to university Ryerson. I applied for fashion. They wouldn't let me in because of the math. <laughs> 
And I was like, why do I even need to have math? Like, right. this is fashion. Um, now I know I need math. Yeah. Um, and then I went to school. So I ended up going to school for, for journalism. Okay. And I. How did you pick journalism? Or um, how, what led you to that? Because I always loved writing. Yeah. Um, I always kind of excelled at writing, and I always was asking a lot of questions. I actually wanted to make documentary films. Yeah. Um, Canada's got a great like documentary film totally. program. What's there's that there's that one place, oh, man. It's like right across the street from um, the Lightbox, where you can just go and watch oh, yeah, like yeah, every yeah, 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 documentary yeah. that they've totally, ever made. Totally. Canada with their whole like arts program is just killing it. Yeah. They're so good. I have so many friends that live there that just like operate on these art grants all the time and are able to make like really fantastic things because Canada's just supporting them in that way that yeah. I don't think we have as much here. Definitely do not. <sighs> you know, like, yeah, my fiance and I, we've talked about like moving back there. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I... Or f- me moving there. I mean, her moving back, you know. If you can like... Find a way to carve it out where you can make a decent like life there. Absolutely. Toronto's beautiful. I love Toronto it's so It's amazing. Much. And honestly, the education system's fantastic too. Yeah. It was something like uh, 98% of the kids that graduated from my high school went on to higher education. Wow. Like, that's crazy. That's incredible. Totally crazy. Um, so, yeah, Canada's super into it. Great. But, yeah, so... <laughs> So you're in school for journalism. Yeah. Were you enjoying it? What were, what was exciting about it to you? Uh, yeah, I was. Um, but my professor was like, oh, the Canadian media is not biased. And I was like, oh, that's not true. Yeah. And she was like, no, it's not. And I was like, really? And she was like, it's not. And I was like, I can't sit here. <laughs> I was like, I literally can't sit here. If you are going to be trying to drill that into me for the rest of like my tenure here. Right. So you're like, I got to go. Yeah, I was like, I got to go. And I stopped attending that class and then I got kicked out. I was in second year. Okay. <laughs> so then what, what, what did you do then? So I was working at a gym, <laughs> which to know me is to know that's weird. Um, but I was working <laughs> at a gym and uh, this, this woman, Jeannie Becker, do you know who that is by any chance? Okay, no. she was a host of fashion television. Okay. And she was working at the gym. And I was like, wow, this woman is everything. She's like the Canadian version of Anna Wintour. Because oh, wow. she hosted fashion television, which right. in Canada played every week at 7.30 and everyone would watch it. And they, would, they literally showed fashion shows on TV. And, yeah. and then they would like interview Marc Jacobs and he would be like, yeah, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And Carl, like Carl Lagerfeld was like always smoking and he was like much, much larger back then. Yeah. And... um. I was just, I grew up on that show. And uh, she would come into the gym, you know, three times a week. Get it, girl. And uh, <laughs> she would she would be like, oh, I like your shirt. And I'd be like, oh, thanks. And then one day she was like, what do you do anyways? And I was still in school at the time. And I was like, oh, I'm actually going to school. And she was like, for what? And I was like, journalism. She was like, oh, are you a good writer? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and she was like, oh, I'm thinking about writing a kid's book. Maybe you can write it for me. And I was like, absolutely. And she was like, okay, great. I'll see you tomorrow. And then the next day she came in and she was like, so how's it going? And I was like, good. And I was like, you know, I really love fashion television. I've actually applied for internships there before, but they haven't gotten back to me. And she was like, well, that's strange. You should just email Christopher and tell him that I want you to be there. And I was like, okay, great. So I emailed this guy, Christopher Sherman. Uh-huh. And I was like, uh, here's my stuff. I've emailed you 87 times before. Right. 
Um, and then I think the next week I started interning there. Oh, amazing. What were you doing? Just like sorting through the tape library, yeah. which was amazing. They actually let me do a lot of stuff. And then I also ran their social media, um, which was like, you know, people were like, who cares about MySpace and Twitter? Right. But, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was amazing. So what was going through your mind at that time? Did you have a plan of like what you wanted to do or were you just taking it moment by moment? No, I started realizing that there weren't a lot of jobs there mm-hmm. in fashion. Like, I was like, there's Jeannie's job, which no one could ever do. And then there's, like, Canadian L and Canadian Flair. And that's basically it. I mm-hmm. mean, I did a little bit of work with the Fashion Design Council of Canada for a while, interning there, which is, like, the Canadian CFDA. But right. it kind of seemed, like, not... So what did you want to do? I think I knew around that time that I had to go. Yeah. You know, if I was really wanting to, like, do something, I had to go. But did you, what was that thing that you wanted to do? I didn't know. But you just knew that there was something else. Yeah. So so what was your plan? Mm, I didn't really have a plan. I, I ended up working at Entertainment Tonight Canada for a little while. Okay. And uh, like one day I was late and my boss came screaming down the hallway and was like, Tom and Katie had the baby. And I was like, what? And she was like, Tom and Katie had the baby and you're late. And I was like, oh my God, I can't be here. Yeah. You know, because when she said Tom and Katie had the baby, it was like, I was like, oh my God. You know, and my own reaction also like disgusted and appalled me. Right. Because I was like, I'm late on the day they had the baby. And then the, the veins in her neck were like going to explode, you know. And I was like, oh. That's so wild. It's that moment where you're just like, this is not my life. Yeah. So that was my last day. Um, and then and then basically to summarize, I when I was working on the on the social media for fashion television, I um had met someone because they were like, do a roundup of the most like fashionable people on on MySpace, and I was like, okay, and they gave yeah. me like a bunch of names of people. It was like a weird time. It was like Corey Kennedy, um, and uh, I ended up like looking at this one person's profile, and we exchanged messages a bunch of times, and and that at, that ended up being my husband. Oh eventually. wow! Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I went to LA, and we like hung out, and then you know I stayed. And we got married. Yeah. We're in love. It was great. Three years. Oh, you guys aren't together anymore. <laughs> okay. That was from like 23 to 25 and a half, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Wow. I loved being married, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What happened? Uh, I realized that the person that I was at 23 was like not the person that I was going to be forever. Right. And that was a really transitional time, you know? I didn't really know who I was. I knew that I had strong convictions about certain things and I knew that I loved fashion, but I also felt like it wasn't going to be enough mm-hmm. for me, especially after 9-11. I was just like, what are we doing? Like who needs, and I'd hear these crazy stories about production and like people and I was like, oh God. And I, you know, I would see stuff at H&M for like $4 and I'd be like, this had to get sewn. Right. You know, it's not like, I think people are like, oh, it's, it's, it was made on a machine. So they think a machine like picks it up and does all the work. Right. Like, no, it's like there's someone in Bangladesh who's like using a sewing machine, but it's, they still had to do it. Right. You know, 
Um, so I just was a little, and I was doing like some fashion show production stuff. And when you were in LA, no, well, yes, in LA. Uh, and then I would also come to New York for New York Fashion Week and work on like production, I would, like assisted people and that sort of thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, like four months of like agonizing, you know, back and forth and two million emails for like a seven minute fashion show that costs right. like 200 grand. I was like, count me out. <laughs> and so then I was like, I'm just going to go work with plants. With plants? Yeah. So I took a year off. I guess it was like a year and a half and worked with this company called Wooly Pocket. Okay. Where we made vertical gardens. And I, it was crazy because what I was complaining to my mom, who's a landscape architect. And I was like, you know, like I'm in this apartment in Los Angeles. I, I, I like, I'm not going back to New York. Cause I was living in the lower East side in like a one bedroom apartment with two other people for like six months. And I was like, not, and I was still married. I was like, I'm not going back there. Like, this is just not for me. And like, really I'm in this apartment right now in Los Angeles. And I just feel like I wish that I could have plants all over all of my walls because it would just be better. And I think everyone should have that. And it would just be better. Right. And I was like, you know, you are a landscape architect. You should know how to do this. And she was like, well, it's pretty complicated, but this is what you'd have to do. Da, da, da. And I started thinking about it. And then I was also doing some work with a company called Genard at the time. And so the founder of Genard, his name is Ian Gerard. I was telling him, he must have thought I was totally nuts. But I was telling him, I was like, you know, Ian, like, I'm really just trying to work with the plants. Like, I really want more plants on the walls. Like, I don't know about you, but this is not working for me. And he was like, you know, funny enough, I know this guy who just created this thing with plants on the walls in L.A. And I was like, really? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I'll connect you over email. And I was like, okay. And so he connects me to this guy. And I was back in L.A. like that next week. And so I met up with that guy. And I had already had taken a job for Fashion Week to be back in New York the following week. And he was like, well, I'm actually going to New York because Martha Stewart found out about our vertical gardening thing. Will you come with me? And I was like, yeah, totally. So we went and like explained these vertical gardens to Martha Stewart and built one on her stage. And she was like, I'm into it. Be on the show. <laughs> and so he like did this whole gardening thing on on Martha Stewart show and we just ended up working together for a year and a half and we started a school garden program and I built a thousand school gardens across America that's amazing yeah it was cool so what why did you leave that uh, well it I still loved fashion yeah I still love fashion and you know I I was in LA and and I am very like creative and a little bit out there for sure, but I also have this other side of me that's extremely regimented and very business focused. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my mom was always creative, but she's a landscape architect. So it's like a balance of like super creative, crunchy right. with like methodical, mathematical. Right. Right. And I have a little bit of that. And when I was younger, she was, I guess, sort of jesting with me and she was like, you know, she was like, you are very smart. She's like, but you'll never make more money or be more successful than I am. <laughs> and I was like, really? That's such a wild thing to say. I know. She's wild. And I was like, well, okay, like, let's see. Yeah. You know? That was like a challenge. That was her like. Totally. Like, yeah. I was like, and I'm sure she did it intentionally in, you know, hindsight's 2020. But right. at the time, I was just like, what a bitch. Is she still in Toronto? 
Now she lives in Red Deer, Alberta, one of the fastest growing cities in Canada. Okay. Um, um, helping do their like urban planning as they develop and scale. She's gotcha. like everything must be circular. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, the thing in LA was great. I mean, we had like ad campaigns like with people like naked gardening and it was like very intense and we did like yoga together in the mornings and like all cooked lunch together. It was like a little bit like, you know, like some of us lived in like retreats with like bunnies and there was like a lot of campfires and singing. It was like really like we were kind of out there, but it was gray like, area cult zone almost. I mean, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it was, like, intense. It wasn't an office that you walked into and were like, oh, this is normal, necessarily. Right. We got a lot done, and we grew that company. It's now, like, a multimillion-dollar company. Oh, wow. um, so it was also a good exercise for me. And, like, if you're really passionate about something, I was extremely passionate about plants. I was extremely passionate about engaging children with gardening um, and just putting more plants in the world in general, as was my um, boss. And we worked hand-in-hand hand that whole time. It, it, things can really, like, take off. Um, but ultimately I also realized that in those situations when I'm working for other people, I'm putting 500% of myself into it. And ultimately that's never going to be my baby. That's someone else's baby. Right. Um, and so I realized at that point that I need to sort of do my own thing. I'd like to thank Squarespace for sponsoring today's episode. If you don't know, Squarespace is a gift from the heavens because it is the easiest way to create a blog or a website. Do you have an idea kicking around in your brain for a blog that you've been procrastinating starting? Or have you been making awesome pottery that you want to sell to the nice people all over the world? Or are you making dog sweaters? Because I need a dog sweater and I would buy it from you. All you have to do is go to Squarespace because they have made it painfully simple for you to create an e-commerce website and online store, and you can power your business with the only platform that lets you create, manage, and brand your store in a beautiful way. You have no excuse not to do it because they've gone a step further with their new domain search, so you can find the right domain name and renew it at the same rate every year. It's all there. What are you waiting for? Head to Squarespace and use the offer code OBOY at checkout for 10% off your first purchase. And please sell me a sweater for my dog. Okay, back to the show. Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do? No, still no clue. Well, I was like, I'm going to open a store, which is so stupid. I was like, I'm going to open a store and I'm going to travel around the world and get things from different artisans and sell them in the store. I think there's like 900 stores like that in New York. It's yeah. like, you know, the wives of people who are wealthy that just do that. And like, right. it was not a good idea. Um, but I didn't, yeah, I didn't really know. But, um, but you you were like I'm gonna do it anyway. Yeah, I was I I um got divorced and I moved to um New York and um just decided to like chill out for a little while. Yeah. Um and I did some work again with with Jen Art, uh and I met Darlene and Lizzie Oakpo, who are these two amazing designers of this brand called William Oakpo. Okay. And uh, we ended up going to Nigeria together. And I had just gone to Morocco and I started like paying attention to, you know, what was going on in the ground there. I'm a big flea market person. So I'd always like, you know, look at the different things that they had for sale, like in, in Morocco in the souks and, you know, Eswaira. It was just like travel around a little rent a car, drive around Africa, you know, the usual. Yeah. And, um, 
I just became like really enthralled with the idea of like helping preserve artisanal jobs there. And um, is that something that's dying out? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of the things, I mean, like if you go to Morocco right now, which, you know, you should do, um, like you're in the souks and there's like knockoff hood by air. Really? Oh, it's crazy. And like they don't want to wear their own traditional shoes. They don't want to wear a babouche. They want to wear like what like ASAP Rocky's wearing or like what Kanye's wearing. Wow. Like they're like, where's the Yeezy boosts? Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> That's such a bummer. I mean, like I've watched Huge multiple bummer. videos. I, I love watching those videos of the of the people in Morocco who like make the tiles. Mm-hmm. They make the tiles by hand. Have you ever seen any of those? Totally. Videos? Yeah. Or seen? I'm I've sure you've seen, seen it in person. It, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, yeah. there's nothing like that. I know. It's so beautiful. I know. And like I really, you know, I had a lot of respect for that. Yeah. And um, I guess I'd just been thinking about manufacturing a lot. And, you know, I was just, and I also was thinking about like, I don't know, the stuff that they were making was really good. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved Babouche. I loved um, the South African shoe called a Felskoon. Um, that I loved and thought was amazing. It's like the original desert boot. Um, so I just started saying like, Hey, like, I think that this could be marketable if we make some tweaks on it and like, you know, I could potentially help save some people's jobs. Um, and so, you know, it was like, okay, I have a little bit of money. Like, can you guys make some shoes for me? Brought them back here, um, to New York sold some to friends and stuff, had a, a booth at the Hester Street Fair. Yeah. And I sold some shoes there, got feedback from people firsthand, made more tweaks. Um, Darlene and Lizzie Oakpo were working at opening ceremony at the time, and they showed the shoes to Umberto, uh-huh. and Umberto liked them, and so they put them in opening ceremony. Oh, wow. And the rest is sort of history, but I started with the desert boot. It was a very unintentional thing. Kind of happened very organically. Absolutely. What what would have been kind of the, the, the things that you've had to deal with that you didn't foresee when you started? Jeez, um, so much. Yeah. Because when I started, I was like, I'm hustling shoes. You know what I mean? Like when I lived in LA, I used to, I didn't have a visa initially, right? So I used to go to downtown LA, wait for J Brand and like Citizens of Humanity to do their like reject dump at St. Vincent de Paul's. I would grab all those jeans, I'd buy them for like $5 each or something, repair them, and then take them to Wasteland on Melrose and sell them. And that was how I paid my rent. I would have that money, use the rent, take what was left, go buy more jeans next time. It was sort of like drug dealing, but like with vintage clothing. (laughs) You know what I mean? It was really like hustling clothes. So it was the same, you know, and when I first, I mean, I moved out, I lived by myself when I was 17 years old when I first moved out. And my mom gave me rent money, but I spent it. And so for one very brief period of time, I did try to sell drugs to like, you know, make my rent money. And it was like hustling. It was the same. It's like math. Like you get a little and then you yeah. And so with shoes, it was like the same, you know. It was like start with some shoes that they made, try to sell them, get give the money back to them to get more shoes, try to sell them, you right. know, keep going in that way. Right. And it, and it worked out. It's working out. Yeah. 
<laughs> the hustle is still the same thing, though, because yeah. it's like we're growing so much. So it's like you have to take everything you have and put it back into the company to keep it growing. Right. Um, and the way that I've done it, you know, and I definitely credit my grandmother and these relationships that she had in the pen pals because it really made me understand, you know, the differences that we all face. And it one of the things that kind of propelled me early on was like, when she passed away, I said to myself, like, how can I honor her legacy? I should sponsor a child. And then I was like, okay, like, it's pennies a day. But, like, literally sometimes pennies a day is, like, all I have to my name. Right. You know? Um, when I lived in L.A., I, like, don't even think I had a bank account. Um, my husband didn't have a bank account when I met him. Like, or, like, photo ID. Like, it was <laughs> like, you know, we were very crunchy. So, um I've just thought there must be a more sustainable way to help people than to give them a lifelong handout. Right. You know? Right. Um, because my grandmother also said, like, you can give a man a fish or you can teach a man how to fish, et cetera. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right. So that, for me, also felt like the right thing to do. What was, uh, was there a moment where you kind of took a step back and, and felt like, whoa, this is taking off? Like, this is this is getting... People are noticing, like, this is this is getting a little crazy. Yeah, I don't think that that really happened until um, maybe when I was nominated for CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund. When I was mm-hmm. a finalist for that. And I was, like, I mean, blindsided. Like, I was, like, I can't even believe. I mean, I applied, but it was, like, I kind of applied because I wanted to go through the exercise of actually doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I could know what it was and like maybe have like the 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 information to do it another year and maybe do well. So when he called me, Stephen Cole, to say that I got in, it was like, I mean, there's a TV show actually, so you can see what my reaction was. So it was like hysterical crying. Really? Oh my god, I was floored. I was wow. floored, and um. You know, I think it was when the pr- the producer from that show, like a week later, was like, "Okay, so now you're a finalist for the CFDB Fashion Fund. Like, what do you think that you'll win?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" And she was like, "Do you think you'll win?" And I was like, "Didn't I just win? Like, aren't I a finalist?" And she was like, "Right, yeah, you're a finalist, but there's an actual prize." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, like I can't even think about that. Like, yeah. I'm just happy to be here." Right. You know, yeah. I literally never even occurred. Once I got in, it never even occurred to me winning. I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe that I'm here. This is crazy. What, what did that do for you in terms of uh, in terms of the company? It did a lot for us. I mean, we're growing, like, exponentially this year. Yeah. You know, and just to be able to get, like, firsthand feedback from Anna Wintour about your brand and to have her be like, oh, yeah, the artisans did a really good job on this. Yeah. You know, and for all those people in Africa to know, because I learned everything that I know about shoes from them. Mm -hmm. So they won that award. You know what I mean? Like they taught me how to do this. Right. And that's a testament to like what these people have been doing for a really long time. You know, and like I think, you know, Instagram is so crazy because it's like, you go on my Instagram and it's like me with a giraffe, me here on safari, me doing this. But like those, that's Instagram. Like that, I mean, I've gone through some real, real, really real shit over there, you know? Mm-hmm. And I've spent a lot of time on that continent now. And like 
bad stuff has happened. Like, not like, not like, I mean, on a scale of bad to bad. But you know what I mean? Like, it's really like, it's not, it's 98% is not Instagrammable moments. I mean, we've gone through some stuff that's crazy that like, you know, you, you just can't even really talk about. Like, one of our the guy who did my first ever sandal samples, son, four months ago, swallowed a pin and died. Oh, my God. Like, that kind of thing, where you're just like, whoa. Like, you always remember, like, you know, this is still Africa. But at the end of the day... You know, you're dealing with this whole crazy world over there and all these different countries because now we're in South Africa, Kenya, Morocco, and Ethiopia. And then we also source in Burkina Faso, Mali, and Nigeria. Okay. So it's like a lot, right? And so you have this whole like crazy world that's going on over there. And then it's like out of this explosion of like total craziness comes floating this like little magical shoe. And then that little magical shoe ends up sitting on a shelf next to like a pair of like, you know, Mew Mew shoes at like Bird in Brooklyn. Right. You know what I mean? And then a girl comes by and she's like, oh, these are cute. And she picks them up and puts them on and buys them and then sit. It's like the shoe sits there alone. It doesn't sit there with its story. People don't know how that shoe came to be. People don't know that that woman who made that shoe is like a single mom of eight and this was like the first job she's ever had. Right. You know, people don't know like why I chose the workshops that I chose. Our workshop in Malindi in Kenya, like, you know, I chose that workshop because that neighborhood has the highest instances in, in Kenya of um, underage uh, prostitution. And it was because all of the young girls there are like, why would I go to school? There's no jobs. Right. And I was like, how can I combat that other than by creating jobs in the community? Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. But that's like not a thing that you like talk about and like, you know. Vogue where you're like oh yeah and so the child prostitution so I opened a workshop there do you know what I mean but it's a really real thing yeah besides that like what do you love the most about you know what working in fashion has allowed you to do or would you say that's the Mm -hmm. thing well I think that what's been amazing about it for me is like I think that fashion is often portrayed as this like really like stuffy clicky Mm -hmm. industry and I think with the fashion fund, like one of the, I think the first night that we all got in uh, as finalists, one of the designers was like, so which of the judges are you friends with? And I was like, oh my God, none. Am I supposed to be? Yeah. And he was like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. Like, and, and, you know, like I did not know any of those people. Right. I didn't know any of the judges. I was not like friends with any of them. Um, and like really I think what's been amazing for me is that like you can be like, you know, a tiny child from Canada that has a crazy idea. And like if people believe in what you're doing and, and – you know, passion is contagious. If you can spread that passion, like you'll see a movement that will happen and people will get behind you and support right. you even if you don't know them. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that to me is like really mind blowing and speaks to the power of humanity and people. That's amazing. What, uh, what, what are the things that you find frustrating? Like the whole structure of how it is like <laughs> where it's like you need so much money. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think people understand the actually like 
running the business ends up taking so much money and like we started with five grand I mean you know my story I like saved some of my plant money and some of my gen art money yeah and that's like how we started you know what I mean so thank goodness you know for the fashion fund and the fact that like we've been really diligent along the way because you know, if I have taken on an investor early on, they would have been like, oh, like, your production in Africa, like, let's just move it to China. It'll be way cheaper. Right. You know, and like, oh, you want to use chrome-free leather? That's actually more expensive. So if we could just stick to regular leather. Like, owning my own company has given me that autonomy to be sustainable and to keep producing in Africa. And right. to, like, not pull out of certain countries when the political climate gets bad. Like, you know, those are the things that, like, that. that's for me is, like, why I still, like, try so hard to continue owning 100% of my brand because I want to make sure that I'm able to make the choices that are best for everyone involved, not right. just the bottom line. Right. Has that been hard? Oh, yeah. So hard. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, it's been so hard because yeah. I'm also, like, not a money person. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. it's, like, you end up spending so much time like, you know, balancing your checkbook or like sending wire transfers that it's like, when do I have time to design these shoes? Right, right. You know? Well, what are the things that still keep you um, like inspired? Hmm. Like, you know, women. Yeah. It's just the women, all different women. Women in Africa, yeah, of course, but like also just the women that I know. You know, just like seeing them, mm -hmm. seeing like just being out in the world. Like there, I think that it's so, it sounds so cliche, but I think there's so much beauty in the world. That's not cliche. There, there is really so much. That's true. Yeah. And like the world is an incredibly magical place, you know. If you, if you allow yourself to be open to that. Yeah. Well, you only see what you're looking for. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um. And there's so many more places that, like, I want to go and things that I want to see and people that I want to meet. And, like, people say some of the most amazing things to me sometimes. And, like, I'm a cold emailer, too. Like, if I see something that someone's doing that I think is amazing, like, I will, like, email, like, info at whatever and be like, you got, like, one of my best friends has this this line called Kara, which makes handbags. And like, I met her cause I sent an email to info at Kara and why.com. And I was like, I just want to know these bags are banging. Like yeah. you are killing it. Like, yeah. I don't know who you are. Keep doing what you're doing. Right. You know, like you rock. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, how do you see things changing in the fashion world and how do you want to be involved in that change? Well, you know what? People who are much younger and smarter than me, the next generation, <laughs> They ask a lot of questions, which I think is great. And they are very engaged about what they're buying. They want to know where it came from. Right. They want to know if it's fur, how it was sourced, what kind of fur it is, um, which I think is great. Uh, they know the difference between animal byproduct fur and recycled fur and not fur, and they know to ask those questions. So I think the more that consumer asks that question, the more you're going to see changes in the fashion industry. And that's what's so amazing about the power that we have now with social media. It's right. like people can come and voice their opinions, and that can actually affect the industry as a whole. So like, where, where what are your hopes for, for the, I mean, the I line? Where do you want to take it? Well, I want to keep, you know, growing because obviously the more shoes and handbags we sell, the more jobs we create, right. which is amazing. Right. Um, and then there's like other categories that are also really interesting to me, you know. Such um, as? 
Yeah, well, I love, you know, I love women. I love the whole processes that women go through every single day. And the other day I was doing something and, and you know, I was just thinking about our relationship to beauty and, you know, one of the highest selling uh, products at, at Estee Lauder is a skin bleaching cream. And that is like super disturbing and weird to right. me, you know, but mm-hmm. we've created that. The fashion industry has created that because we've put out those beauty ideals to the world. And so I think that it's important that we fix it. And I think that it's about having conversations and changing like what is said and how we speak about things and, you know, the images that we're putting out there. Like our first campaign, everyone that we photographed was happy. And I think for a lot of people, that was the first time they've seen happy imagery coming out of Africa. Yeah. You know, and I think for me, it's just about, you know, finding different ways to sort of tell stories. Like we have this thing called the T-shirt project that was started because when I was in Kenya, I was just seeing these mounds of T-shirts everywhere. And I was like, what is this? And they're like, it's your friend's clothes. And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, it's all the, 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 the dump of American clothes that they dump here. And I was like, what? And then I was like, oh, it's donated T-shirts. Right. Because in the 80s and 90s, it was like, donate your clothes to Africa. The Africans need your shirt. Yeah. But now they're saying there's eight extra T-shirts sitting in dumps for every one person in Africa. Because you have things like the NFL, right? They'll go into production with shirts for each winning team because they don't know who's going to win. Right. And so all those shirts for the team that didn't win get dumped in Kenya. And it's essentially a dump. I mean, they're calling it a donation, but it's a dump. Right. You know, like tour shirts for huge artists that like the artist was like, actually, no, like those go there. Wow. And so it's killed in Ethiopia, 70% of the local manufacturing. Because there's just so much. Right. They just don't need so much shit there. It's just sitting there. It kills all the local jobs. Um, And they don't give it away. They sell it there. Um so we have like some girls in Kenya who actually go through it and I've sent them like a guidebook of like what's cool in Brooklyn and they like go through it and like pull out like cool quote unquote vintage shirts and then they mail them back to us and we sell them on our website and then we use the money for skills training. Wow, that's amazing. So it's just about finding different ways to tell stories. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's really amazing. I, I love think that. it's cool. Yeah. So, so what's next for you? Mm, I don't know. It's still just an everyday, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. It's an everyday, like, thing to be like, okay, here I am today, which is amazing. That in and of itself is amazing. Um, and then how can I, like, do good today? And how can I, like, make other people feel happy? And right. I think it's about continuing to surround myself with, like, other strong people who like want to make positive changes and like have really amazing creative energy and like that we can all collectively tell stories because I don't know what the future holds I don't know if I'll be the CEO of Brother Veli's forever you Mm -hmm. know there might be someone better to run the company from a business standpoint than me one day you know but I hope that we can all just continue finding ways to like make the world a better place through our art right I love that me too I think that's a great place to end it. Aurora James, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome.